I love to come to surprising texts that you would read on the surface and say, what are you going to do with that? And see such amazing things. We have been in the early chapters of 1 Kings as we are looking at the rise and fall of Solomon. And so much of Solomon's life becomes uh, a picture and foreshadowing of ultimately what the kingdom of God was supposed to look like until Solomon's failure. Uh, that is certainly true for 1 Kings chapter 4. Uh, remember in the third chapter of 1 Kings, we see God coming to Solomon and just simply saying, you ask me whatever you want. Well, whatever it is you want, you just go ahead and ask him. We saw the best prayer that we could offer then as a prayer that is not merely for ourselves or even merely for others, but that we would be the instruments that God could use to be the answer to other people's prayers. Now, chapter 4, I don't know if you had a chance to look through it all. I found one commentator quite humorous, and I I mean, it's not funny what he says, but it's funny what he says. Uh, When he says about this chapter, the purpose of including all these details about Solomon's wisdom and reign and polity and administration is not transparent. (laughs) I have no idea what to do with that chapter. Uh, That's some good honesty, at least. (laughs) But this chapter is actually really amazing. It is uh, uh, seemingly on the surface, just mindless details. And yet what God is revealing here, as we'll see as we get to the end of this lesson, are pictures about Jesus and pictures about his kingdom and what that means for us. In the first uh, 20 verses, what you first begin to notice is that This kingdom that has been established by God through Solomon is truly a blessed kingdom. Now, as you would scan your eyes through those first 19 verses for the men's sake who are listed here, and for my sake, I will not read all those names and uh, destroy them in the process. But there's just this long listing of administrators and here's who they are and what they're doing. And immediately you have to ask the question, well, why is that listed? Why is all of this here? Why use inspiration paper to describe, well, here's all the administration of Solomon and all the people who were under him and all the things that they were in charge of. Why go through all that? But if you think about where we are and what God is showing us in these pictures, what you are seeing is God fulfilling promises to Solomon that this kingdom has been completely established without any external threat. And this becomes apparent when you think about what we saw in the life of David. David was absolutely unable to establish a kingdom, to establish an administration because he's constantly on the run. He's constantly under threat. He's constantly under attack. There are always problems arising with David on the throne. But now that Solomon is king... Notice we don't have external threats. There's not fear of, well, Solomon's going to have to take his leave and be on the run or a nation's going to rise up. No, he's able to establish this government and establish this kingdom. And that's even Solomon, though it's not in our, our text tonight, just to leak you ahead. Solomon even says that 
In chapter 5 and verse 3, that David was unable to establish his kingdom because of the warfare. And then you see statements about that, David being a man of bloodshed and a kingdom under warfare. Well, what's God saying except it's always been a turbulence in, in, in David's reign, but in Solomon's reign, that's not the case. And this really comes to a beautiful picture in verse 20, where it says in verse 20 of First Kings 4, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Now, that seems short and concise, but it is extremely significant. The first significance is notice that it says that Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand of the sea. This is ringing a bell for us that God is fulfilling his promises that he made to Abraham. He told Abraham, your descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky and as numerous as the sand in the sea and so of the seashore. And so that's what is happening here is you are seeing the promises of Abraham coming into fulfillment. This kingdom is being established and we are seeing a picture of its stability as the kingdom has arrived. Not only that, to say at the rest of verse 20 that the people were able to eat and drink and be happy shows that they are at rest. There, there's there's no concern from the, the other nations. There's no concern about any uprising from external nations or uprising within the nation itself. There's no usurping now. There's no problems. Remember, Adonijah has been set down. And so now the kingdom is functioning, established. And notice it has a result on the people. I think this is a very important part of this chapter. The result to the people is they're able to rest. They're able to eat and they're able to drink and they're able to be happy. They're able to be at peace. And it is essentially giving a picture of that their needs are in being met in full abundance. They can eat, they can drink, they're not hungry, they're not thirsty, they're not scavenging, they're, they're not concerned, they're not worried. They are just simply eating, drinking, and happy. Everything is running smoothly in this kingdom that God has established for Solomon. And so the first picture, as there are three pictures of this kingdom, is that this is a blessed kingdom, is that God is with Solomon, the kingdom is established, and the blessings are pouring to the people. The second picture is that this is a very rich kingdom. When you look at verses 21 through 28, the descriptions that are given here are jaw-dropping in terms of the riches that exist. In verses 21 through 23, verse 21 in particular says that all the nations now are bringing tribute to Solomon. And this is how established this kingdom is, is that now nations are coming to Solomon from the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the, to the Philistines to the border of Egypt. They're bringing Solomon tribute and serving Solomon all the days of his life. Now, notice this next verse because off the top of it, you might go, oh, how much is this? This seems insignificant. Solomon's provisions for one day 
was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen, and 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. All right, so you say, what's a core? Core is considered about, if you, it's hard to always do translation of weights and measures and money from something so far away, but generally scholars think one core was about a donkey load that you would muster of food. So this is telling us that every day, every day, the provision was 30 donkey loads of fine flour. 60 donkey loads of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, never mind all the other animals, every day. Wow. (laughs) That is a ton of food that is coming in to this kingdom. You are getting a picture of the riches of this kingdom that money and food are just flowing into Solomon into Solomon's reign. It's even pictured even beautifully in verses 24 and 25 as it continues to describe the rule of Solomon in verse 24, ruling over the kings or having dominion over these regions. Verse 25 and Judah and Israel lived in safety. From Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. Now, that's a strange metaphor to say everybody's sitting under their own vine and under their own fig tree. But it's an important metaphor. It's a metaphor that gets used by the prophets later on in speaking of the messianic kingdom to come. Is going to say, everybody's going to sit under their own vine and their own fig tree. And you go, I don't have any vines or fig trees in my backyard, so I don't know if we're okay. And it's a metaphor. And what that metaphor is, one of economic prosperity and rest. It's a picture of peace. Is that everybody has the abundance they need. Everybody has the riches they need. Everybody is satisfied. Everyone is at peace. And there is no threat. In fact, verse 27 probably has a very good summary of it. At the very end of verse 27, it just simply says, They let nothing be lacking. That's what it means to have everybody under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Nobody's running around. Nobody's striving. Nobody's worrying. They're just at rest. They have what they need. They're satisfied. All is going well in this kingdom that has been established by God through Solomon. So it's a blessed kingdom. It's an extremely rich kingdom at that time. And the final paragraph is one to show what a wise kingdom it is. Notice verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. The rest of the next few sentences, he's wiser than all of these other people and very wise that they are. Solomon's wisdom surpasses it all. Notice the statement again about measureless wisdom like the sand on the seashore. Notice another connection to the Abraham promise that that was given. And the idea is that Solomon's kingdom 
with all of Solomon's wisdom is a blessing to the people. It's a blessing to Israel. It's for their good. They are enjoying the wisdom of Solomon. And ultimately what you are seeing in the whole of this chapter is that everybody wants to be in this kingdom. After it describes all the things that that he was able to do with his wisdom, like in verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were a thousand and five. We still today have some of those. We still have some of those proverbs and have some of those songs. Even still today, the benefit of Solomon's wisdom is still occurring. And so you're seeing this image of how his wisdom was changing the world and helping his people. That verse 34, all people of all and the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Everybody's coming to Solomon. Everybody wants to belong to the kingdom. Everybody wants to listen to his wisdom. And everybody in the world at that time has heard of the wisdom of Solomon. And for a moment, I would just like for you to imagine belonging to a kingdom like this because we're supposed to see the staggering nature of Solomon's kingdom. It's a kingdom that is full of wisdom. It's a kingdom that is full of riches and peace and joy, happiness, rest. These are the images that are being told to us. I mean, it just visualize what we've just read about having a ruler like Solomon with all of his wisdom being used for the good of his people and the riches that he has that is being used for the good of his people so that no one is at lack. They're all under their own vote fine and their own fig tree. They're eating and they're drinking and they're happy. They are enjoying things. They are not having to worry about their government. They're not worried about food. They're not worried about the economy. They're not worried about money. They're not worried about what the other nations are planning. They're not worried about what the other nations are doing. Who would want to live at that time and belong to Solomon's reign? I mean, ever yeah, we can just sit here and rest and enjoy the, the blessings of God and the fruit of the land and have a wonderful ruler like Solomon who will lead us in the right paths and he will use his wisdom to bring justice and righteousness, which is what he prayed for in chapter three. Why he wanted the wisdom is so that he could be a discerning leader for his people and everybody is at rest and peace. Sign me up. And I think that's such a beautiful picture. But now hold all of that in your mind. And I want to draw you to a staggering statement that Jesus makes. As you get a sense of how vast the wisdom and riches and prosperity and rest and peace existed under the kingdom of Solomon and during his reign... Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 12, 42. Jesus said, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon 
is here. Now to appreciate what Jesus said, you had to have a sense of what this kingdom of Solomon looked like. What a a vast kingdom, what a rich kingdom, what a wise kingdom, what a blessed kingdom, what a peaceful kingdom it was. And then as Jesus comes on the scene, you have the context of this statement that you have the religious leaders who are challenging Jesus and they are saying to him, we're essentially not going to believe you unless you do a sign. And Jesus responds, I'm not going to do a sign. He starts talking about Jonah and then he moves into this picture right here and says the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon she understood the kingdom of Solomon how important it was how wise it was how rich it was and she was willing to travel a great distance we haven't read that yet But what Jesus says after that is what's notable for what we're looking at. Something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater, something greater could be here at this moment. Think about that. How could anything be greater than Solomon in the kingdom that he ruled over at this time? How could there be someone who could walk into the scene and say, I want you to know that someone is greater here and something is greater here at this time. You got a greater king with a greater kingdom here. That is a staggering comparison. How would it be possible to say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of Solomon and all of his wisdom and riches. And I want you to think of his kingdom and what those uh, riches and what that wisdom meant for the people. And then Jesus says, and then I want you to exponentially multiply it because something is here that's greater than that. The thing that I want us to see is a couple of points. For Jesus to come along and say that He and His kingdom are far greater than Solomon's should just say so much to us that we would begin to understand that we belong to a greater kingdom and a greater king. As good as it sounded to think about living in the days of Solomon and being able to be one of those citizens and enjoy all of that prosperity and peace and security and, and, and wealth, just all bound up. Here's Jesus coming along and saying, you know, if you belong to me and are a part of my kingdom, it's exponentially greater. You have so much more with me. With Christ, we have a king who is the very wisdom of God. He didn't just get wisdom from God like Solomon. He is the wisdom of God. In regards to Christ, his riches are so vast because he owns everything. He made it. It's all his. And so when you compare riches to Solomon, it's far greater than that. We have a king who comes and he brings us peace and rest and hope. He allows us to prosper so that we are under our own vine and under our own fig tree. What I want us to grasp 
is the kind of kingdom that we belong to. This kingdom of Christ is something that is so much greater than we could possibly grasp. Because I don't know that I can fully understand in my mind and get my mind around what even Solomon's kingdom looked like. You know, just donkey loads of food and riches and wealth every day. And everybody's just under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And everybody's just eat, drink, and be happy. And Jesus comes along and says, I blow that kingdom out of the water. I can't even get my mind around Solomon's much more to exponentially go further than that. But what Jesus does want us to understand is that the kingdom that we belong to is a rich, blessed, wise kingdom. It is a kingdom in which if we belong to it, we have nothing to fear. That is what Christ came to give to us. That here we belong to the kingdom of Christ and we do not have to worry and we do not have to fear. And as Christians, we're supposed to be living that way, that we are not moved by the kingdoms of the world because we belong to the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what is going on in the kingdoms of the world. We belong to the kingdom of God. And I think that is so important for us as we live in times where it's just up and down and up and down. I mean, it's the end of the world every four years in our country, right? I mean, it is. Every four years, it's the end of the world, and yet we're all still here every four years. And every four years, it's still the same old, same old as far as I can tell. I've been around the block a few decades now to see every four years we're still in the same spot that we always were, here we are. (laughs) We're not moved by the kingdoms of the world. We belong to the kingdom of God. We have nothing to fear. We have no need to worry. We belong to something greater. We belong to something far more powerful. We belong to something that we are able to enjoy today in terms of the kingdom of God. And then as I think what what you see so amazing about this picture of of 1 Kings 4, because in 1 Kings 4, as all of this text about this kingdom, and it's blessed, and it's rich, and it's wise, to have the very ending in verse 34 to say, you have people from all the nations coming to hear the wisdom of Solomon. You have people traveling long distances. And a little bit later on, this Queen of Sheba will be an example of one of many who would just come to see what God had done through Solomon. And Jesus was making an important point about that. Because in Solomon's day, People were willing to travel huge distances just to have some kind of experience with the Solomon's kingdom, to hear a little bit of his wisdom, to see what God had done for him. You can imagine as people were just talking about that, the kind of buzz that would have happened about what this kingdom was all about. And we want to be a part of that kingdom. How blessed is Israel? How amazing is that? But Jesus comes along and think about he's condemning the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12 because he came to them. They didn't have to walk five feet to see this kingdom. 
and to see this king. Here you have in Solomon's reign, everybody from all over is traveling days and weeks and months to try to see this reign of Solomon. And Jesus is the contrast. He comes to us. He comes to earth and says, here I am. You don't have to go anywhere. I'm right here. I'm your king and my kingdom is substantially greater than Solomon's. And what all the people do? Eh, whatever. So you're a king, eh? So you say. Oh, you've got a kingdom, huh? Yeah, sure, it looks like it. He's met with rejection. He's met with resistance. Nobody is willing to enjoy what Christ is coming to offer. They're all turning Him down. They're all rejecting Him. And I just want us to think about how staggering it is of why they would be condemned. If in Solomon's kingdom, as great as it was, the world would come to him, how much more should the world be coming to Christ who has a far greater rule and a far greater kingdom? But flip that a little bit more because we don't have to go to Him. We don't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem to see this. We don't have to go a great distance to find this. It's right here in our hands. And I want us to think about that picture that's given to us. Would we be willing to go to the ends of the earth to find Jesus? Would we be willing to listen to His wisdom, to belong to His kingdom? What would you do to belong to a kingdom like this? That's what Jesus is doing in that Solomon picture is saying, you understand Solomon's kingdom? They were dying to get into that kingdom. They wanted to be a part of that. Any touch they could have of that kingdom, that's what they were doing. Is that our zeal? Is that what we want? Do we treasure Christ's kingdom to that kind of level? That we want to participate in it and to enjoy it. That is, I think, such a a beautiful picture. And I think what's particularly interesting about that idea is here you have people flocking in particular, it says, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. How far do you have to go to hear the wisdom of Christ? How far do you have to go? People are sacrificing traveling distances. How much do we want to hear the wisdom of the kingdom of God? This is what Christ was coming and saying. And why he's saying the queen of Sheba, she'd rise up and condemn everybody. Because she's willing to do anything to just listen to Solomon. And someone greater than Solomon is here. And a far greater kingdom that has been established. Do we see the glory of our king? Do we want to be in that kingdom? Uh, The only way we can do that is that we must supremely value Jesus and his kingdom above anything else. We, We have to attach that value. And I'm afraid what's happened is because we get comfortable with God's word, we get comfortable with Christ, we're very comfortable in our situation, we lose sight of how important, significant, and valuable what we ultimately belong to is. 
we miss the, the, the big pictures of what is being offered to us in this kingdom. If, if we were offered to belong to Solomon's kingdom with all of its wealth and all of its power and all of its peace and joy and happiness, but what you had to do was just simply listen to Solomon as your ruler, would you do it? You can have the riches of his kingdom and enjoy the peace and the prosperity and the benefits of Solomon's rule and all that comes of belonging to his kingdom. Just one stipulation. Solomon's got to be your king and you're going to follow what he says. I'd be like, yeah, get me out of this place. (laughs) We live in a time where rulers are corrupt, where nations are at war, where you have all kinds of horror going on and evil in the world. And here, if you lived in the days of Solomon, hey, just belong to my kingdom and do as I say, and all will go well. Yeah, I'm in. How much more should we want to belong to the kingdom of Christ? How much more to be able to have a ruler who rules in righteousness who uses his power and his wisdom and his riches for the good of his people. Never for selfish purposes. Never to advance himself. Never to elevate himself. But always for the good of the constituents. That's the kind of kingdom we have. And I'll end with just a few passages that give some pictures about that from the New Testament. You have the Apostle Paul in Romans 14 saying... Therefore, don't let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace, what builds up one another. You hear the echo of Solomon's kingdom? Hey, the kingdom we belong to is of righteousness, peace, and joy. You belong to that kingdom. You don't belong to a kingdom about physical concerns. It's not about eating and drinking. It's about the things that matter most. You belong to that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. You know, it doesn't matter what happens. You can have countries and nations and rulers all go nuts. and It doesn't matter. This kingdom can't be shaken. It's still going to be here. It's still going to rule. And you can try to rail against it all you want to. It's always going to win. You belong to the right kingdom. And other physical kingdoms are all going to rise and fall. Nations will rise. Nations will fall. Leaders will rise. Leaders will fall. And you have an eternal king on an eternal throne who has an eternal kingdom that's never going to be destroyed. And he says, let's be grateful that we belong to that. That's the security that we have. That's the hope that we have. Or finally, Ephesians th- or Philippians 3, and verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. What you see the New Testament trying to do is is to show us you belong to a different kingdom and that's supposed to cause us to change our focus. It changes how we live. 
And if all of us would have been the wise ones to say, I would have gone for Solomon's kingdom. Look how amazing it was. Look how vast it was. Look how rich it was. Look how wise it was. Look how blessed it was. We would definitely belong to that. And please see the kingdom that's available to each and every one of us that's in Christ. Far greater, far superior, with riches beyond measure, wisdom beyond measure, blessing beyond measure, something greater than Solomon is here. And the wise still seek him. The wise are the ones who rise up and realize that his kingdom is more valuable than anything that we could possibly find in this world. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this kingdom. We thank you for allowing us to belong to this kingdom. A kingdom that we do not deserve to belong to at all. Lord, thank you for for your love and your mercy that allows us so that we could be participants in it. Lord, what can we say when we consider the the vast measure of what this kingdom that you have established is all about? That we are able to enjoy the richest blessings. What can we say except thank you? And as the writer of Hebrews instructs us, Lord, we are grateful for the kingdom that we have received. And Lord, forgive us for the times where we have taken our eyes off of your kingdom. Where we've looked to the world. Where we've put our hope in the world. Forgive us for being caught up in the cares of the world. And failing to observe that your son is on the throne and he rules over it all. So Lord, we pray that you would give us the pictures that we see in the chapter that we've looked at this evening, that you'd give us peace and give us rest, that we could enjoy righteousness, that we could enjoy the joy that is in your kingdom, that we would have our eyes firmly fixed on you, and that we would be able to experience your rich blessings toward us. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be citizens. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be your children. And we pray that we would seek you with all of our heart and that we would be wise to follow you in all the days ahead that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we prepare to sing a song, we do want to offer an opportunity if we can help you in any way to turn to the Lord, to follow him. And I hope that you'll see it is a kingdom that is worth serving. I asked you if Solomon were to come to you and say, you want to belong to my kingdom, you just got to do it as I say and follow under my reign. I think we'd all go, yeah, I'll take it. Christ comes and says, giving you something even greater, all you have to do is submit to my reign and follow what I say. Can we help you do that? Turn away from your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. We can help you anyway. Why don't you come? What we stand and what we sing.